So I want to ask you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 13, 2 Samuel 13, and it's going to be on the screen if you don't have the English Standard Version, that's the version I use. And we're continuing the series on marriage and family. Last week I I preached on um, manipulation and abuse in marriages and in families. But I didn't cover the topic of sexual abuse that I want to cover tonight, and in particular, sexual abuse in families. So 2 Samuel 13, verse 1 to 22, and I'm going to stay put right here. I'm not going to move because the recording's on on the cell phone, on audio. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we can hear the Word of God. Heavenly Father, We come to you, the Most High, the exalted Lord of heaven and earth, God of glory, majesty, beauty, purity, and holiness, righteous God, omnipotent, the all-powerful one, the almighty one, the all-wise God. And we bow low before you, Lord. I was so moved this morning at the Lord's table when Quis spoke of his own experience where he feels he does not love God as he ought. Oh Lord, I can add my amen to that. Even as we sung, you alone are my heart's desire. That is my wish. That is the, the deepest need in my soul. And yet, Lord, I say that sometimes I desire what is not good and right. Oh, purify my heart. And may our hearts long for you alone. What a day when we see the Son of Man appear on the clouds of heaven in all his majesty and beauty and glory and might. And then we can truly say, you alone are our heart's desire. No more longing ever for anything else than Christ and Christ alone. Fill our hearts, as Paul prayed for the Ephesians, with all the fullness of God. Open our ears to hear your word. Break hard hearts, Lord, and heal broken hearts through the Spirit, or by the Spirit, through the the word. Amen. So sexual abuse... The world is filled with examples of this. We see this thing everywhere. And I've heard through, through my ministry, I've heard of people in our church who've been sexually abused as children when they were kids. Uh, people who have told of their children, uh, even cases reported to the police and nothing came from it. I remember one case I heard of. I was the youth leader in this church before I became the pastor of this church. This was in 1998. I came to this church and then I got involved in the youth and then later on became the youth leader and then I moved to another town, became the youth pastor and then I moved back here uh, in 2004 to become the pastor of this church. But I remember a case I heard of years later. Someone said I was in this youth and the youth leader, before I was the youth leader, That guy and a previous youth leader, both of them sexually molested girls. They are the youth leaders of the church. They molested girls. They uh, raped girls who were part of this church's youth. Uh, And another guy was a youth leader. He's dead now. But he also raped a girl in another church where he was the pastor. You remember probably three years ago, two years ago, of Nicholas Nino, who raped a seven-year-old girl in the ladies' bathroom in Dross Restaurant in Silverton in Pretoria. Uh, Many of you will remember Gert van Rooyen, that became a famous name, a pedophile. He molested children, raped girls and killed them uh, in 1988 and 1989. I actually remember that in the town I grew up in. You could go to any shop and in the shop window, uh, these girls are missing, six girls. And eventually uh, the guy killed his, was it his girlfriend or his wife? I think his girlfriend and then killed himself. 
So how do you how do you work through something like that? Some of you sitting here, you're too embarrassed to say, and that has happened to you. You've been molested. Uh, you were raped as a child, or maybe even as a woman. How do you work through that, especially if the offender, if the abuser is a family member? How do you deal with it? How, you, how do you rebuild a life after sexual abuse? And that's where we come tonight with the story of Amnon and Tamar. <clears throat> 22 verses. Now, we already had a lengthy scripture reading in Genesis 34. So I'm not going to do the scripture reading. We're going to work verse by verse. We're going to work through uh, 2 Samuel 13 verse 1 to 14. So first of all, we're going to look at the abuse. The abuse. And Afrikaans het ek maar genoem die verkrachting. And that is in verse 1 to 14. Some of you might have seen this on social media and uh, News 24 or other news networks. There was a quite a famous family in the United States, the Willis clan. They even uh, won a, or became famous through America's Got Talent. It's this mom and dad. They got 12 kids and all, all the kids are musical. They play musical instruments. They got beautiful voices. And they, they became quite popular through their singing. And then it came out, the oldest daughter came out, uh, she ran away from home, and then she told a friend, and they were homeschooled, and they were brought up in, with Christian values and so on. But then a, a friend eventually informed the police that this girl had been raped by her dad since, since the age of three. And she escaped, she, she was raped even into her adulthood. Uh, she, I think she's 26 years old now, but this came out when she was 24 years old. And then the other sisters were also raped and molested by the dad. And even other people outside the family were raped by the dad. And this father then got two times 25 years and two times 40 years imprisonment. Now rape and molesting children, that is only one of many ways in which the good gift of God called sex, in which that good gift that God gives is besmirched and besmeared and blackened and darkened and twisted and perverted. Sex is a good gift that God gives to a husband and a wife in marriage. Hebrews 13 verse 4. It speaks of marriage should be held in honor by all and the marriage bed should be or marriage should be kept holy. It should be sanctified and the marriage bed should be in held in honor. So don't don't pervert Six. Uh, Genesis 2 verse 24, Here's Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. A man shall leave his husband, uh, father and mother. He shall cling to his wife, hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. That's husband and wife in marriage. And they were both naked and not ashamed. So it's a good gift God has given, but sin comes and twists this. So sin, what sin does, it, it turns sex into something ugly into something vile, into something evil. You remember when I did the sermon on sexual fulfillment in marriage, I quoted the little, the little poem, sex is evil, sex is sin, sins are forgiven, so sex is in. And I asked, what's wrong with that little rhyme? What's wrong with the rhyme is sex is not evil, sex is not sin. It's only evil and sin when it's outside of the marriage between a husband and a wife. But sin comes, it turns sex into something ugly where people start abusing one another sexually. Like in Genesis 34 we read where Dinah is raped by Shechem. Or in Genesis 19 where the men of Sodom come and they want to, they want to rape these two visitors. They don't know it's angels because they appear as men. So these come, uh, men come and they want to... Uh, fulfill their homosexual lusts or in, in Judges Richters, Judges chapter 19 same thing, you get these men and they surround the, or they come to the house where visitors are and they want to rape the man and then they just push out the woman and she gets raped, what a horrible story and sadly in many cases, I think 34% of cases in the United States I uh, checked st stats in the U.S. 34% of cases of uh, molesting and rape, sexual abuse happens through family members. And so you have a number of examples of this in Scripture in the Bible. You've got Genesis 19 that I just mentioned, but there you've got a, a case of family members uh, abusing one another sexually. So here's Lot's daughters. They make him drunk 
and then the two daughters get pregnant by their father. Or Genesis 35, verse 22, where you've got a case where um, Reuben sleeps with his father's concubine. No, just a concubine. I mean, that's bad enough. A concubine is a bayfro. It's just a woman you have sex with. She's not your wife. You're not really married to her. So he sleeps with his dad's concubine. Genesis 38, you've got another Tamar, not this Tamar, another Tamar, who her husband abuses her sexually, and then when her husband dies, God kills him because he's so wicked. Actually, two of her husbands die. They're so evil. God kills them. But then eventually Judah, she, she entices her father-in-law. She dresses like a prostitute, entices, tempts her father-in-law, and he sleeps with her. With his own daughter-in-law, she gets pregnant by her father-in-law. In Ezekiel 22 verse 11, in Israel, it speaks of men sleeping with their uh, daughters-in-law and men sleeping with their sisters. So you've got incest. In Mark chapter 6, you've got King Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas, he takes his brother's wife. His brother's still alive. He just takes his wife and then marries her. In Acts 25 verse 13, you've got King Herod, another King Herod, King Herod Agrippa II, and his sister Bernice. Now you just read the text and it says Agrippa and Bernice. they brother and sister. And it's, it was famous in the ancient world that they were living in incest, blitzkander, a brother and sister having sexual relationship. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, where the Apostle Paul speaks of a man who took his dad's wife and he's living in sin, in sexual sin with his father's wife. And what happens in cases like this, because sex is abused in this way, Sex now becomes something that people are afraid of. And that's immediately the moment Adam and Eve sinned. They were naked and unashamed. What happened when sin came into the world? They hid their bodies from one another. You pervert, what are you looking at, Adam? So they hide their bodies. And Tamar in this chapter, Tamar experiences this. She's a very attractive woman. She's beautiful. It says in verse 1, she's the daughter of King David. And she's the full sister, not half sister, because David had many wives. She's the full sister of Absalom in verse 1. And as she grows up, she's not a little girl anymore. She's growing up. Her body's changing. She turns into a woman. She's very attractive. And then her half-brother Amnon, he notices her. And we see this in verse 1, and he, it says he loved her. It just means he falls in love with his sister. Now he knows, according to the law of Moses, Leviticus chapter 18, verse 9 and verse 11, you may not have sexual relations with your sister, even if she's your half-sister. And he knows this. He can't marry his half-sister, but he lusts for her. And he lusts for her, he wishes he can do something to her, we read in verse 2. And the lust is so great, verse 2 says he made himself ill, he made himself sick. Literally a Hebrew word used here in verse 2, the Hebrew word means, it's like he's, he's pressed, it's like he's in this, this narrow space. And I don't know what interfries in English is. Claustrophobia, I don't know what it is, thank you. Uh, so it's like he's claustrophobic and he feels he's in this narrow space. He's pushed and he, uh, it's almost like a male dog. And this dog is caged in bec- because he, sh- he mustn't get to the female because she's on heat. This is the idea. It's like he wants to break out. He doesn't know what to do. And day by day he's depressed. It says in verse 2, day by day he just feels this. Um, you, uh, it's impossible to get to his sister. Then verse 4. Why are you haggard? It's like you're depressed every morning. All right, and now, now that the turn comes. This is the, the next character is probably the worst in the whole story. The next character is, character is Jonadab. Jonadab is his cousin. This is the son of David's, David's brother, uh, Shemiah, we read in verse 3. And Jonadab, he's a very sly character. He's a fox. He's a snake. And he's got tricks up his sleeve. And he's got a plan. I've got a plan how you can rape your sister. Verse 3. So in verse 4 we see every morning he sees Amnon, his cousin. And he, he sees something's not right with this guy. This guy, the Hebrew word here, when, when he says in verse 3... Um, 
or verse 4, I don't quite know how to pronounce that word, Haggard, is that the correct pronunciation? So why are you, pardon? Okay, why are you Haggard? Now the Hebrew word there, it literally means, you're depressed, you, you're weak, you thin. This guy's not sleeping well at night because he's lustful. He's fantasizing. And he's, he wants plans to rape his sister. And this guy's not, he hasn't got an appetite like a dog. When the females don't eat, the dog doesn't eat. So he's like that. He, he's become thin, he's weak. And now Jonadab sees this. And he says, what's going on with you? And like any bad friend, he doesn't direct him to the word of God. He doesn't tell him, listen, but God says you can't have your sister. And Deuteronomy 22 says you shouldn't rape. So he doesn't do that. No, like any bad friend, he's now going to help Amnon to satisfy his lusts, to rape his sister. And so he, he says in verse 5, Jonadab said to him, lie down in your bed, pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat, to prepare food in my sight, that I may see it and eat from her hand. So there's the plan, and obviously it's going to work. Why? Because he already looks sick. He already looks ill. In verse 2, he made himself ill, and he looks weak and thin. So this is going to work. And so Amnon then follows the advice to the letter. The advice his cousin Jonadab gives him. And when David comes and visits his son, sees him at his house, Amnon says, Dad, I'm so I'm not feeling well. Please can't you send Tamar to come and, and let her prepare a meal for me. I, I, I'm so weak, Dad. I can't do it myself. Now, he needs his dad's permission because the, the virgin daughters of the king, they were... Not really, it's not really a lockdown in prison, but there's very, very serious and strict surveillance. Where they live in the palace. And so David then goes back to the palace and he says, Tamar, your brother's so ill. Won't you go and help him? He can't prepare a meal for himself. And Tamar obeys, verse 8, and, and she does everything according to plan, their plan. It works according to plan. And as she comes near, she comes close she these little cakes she baked or scones or what you would call them in our terms and as she puts it in a plate Amnon not he and Amnon's not satisfied he's not happy no 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 she must come a bit nearer but now he wants to do his sin in secret so he chases everyone out please leave please leave and then he says come into the room like he's too sick to get up. He's too ill to get up and get the food himself. No, 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 I'm even too weak to pick my, put my, my hand to my mouth. Can't you feed me? And as she gets close, I can almost feel it down my spine, the cold. His hands lock on her wrists. Sleep with me. And she pleads with him. Please don't humiliate me. Verse 12. Please don't violate me. Please, verse 12. This, uh, uh, such a thing shouldn't happen in Israel. Such a thing shouldn't be done in Israel. This shouldn't happen among God's people. This is not part of how God wants us to live. This is foolishness. This is shameful. This is folly. And I'll feel ashamed, she says to him in verse 13. And that is very often the case when people are sexually abused. Now they feel ashamed. They're not the ones who committed the sin. They sinned against, but they feel ashamed. They feel humiliated. They feel embarrassed. Many girls like that, and probably not girls, boys also, but many of them like that, they feel it's like they deserved something to get raped. They, des or, or they, they did something to get raped. It's like they deserve it. And I, I probably deserve it to be sexually abused. I remember speaking to a woman once after a funeral. She asked, can, we, can she talk to me? And I said, it's fine, we can talk. And we met at her grandma's house and with the door open, which is my policy when I talk to a woman. And she's in her, in her late or mid to late 20s. And I remember her grandmother telling me before that her granddaughter is anorexic. And uh, so I spoke to the young lady and she told me why she's anorexic. Anorexic for the kids, if you maybe not, maybe you don't know what that is. It's when people uh, eat so little that they become 
like skeletons. And um, she was raped by two men. And she became anorexic because she, feel, she felt that if I'm beautiful, people will rape me. I don't want this to happen again. No one has the right to steal someone else's purity. Someone else's sexual purity. And if someone does that to you, or if someone has done that to you, you do not have to feel dirty. You don't have to feel it's your fault. I am now humiliated, yes, but not like in this case where Tamar says in verse 13, uh, where she uses the words, I will be ashamed. Where will I carry my shame? You don't need to feel ashamed. You don't need to feel filthy and dirty. God sees you. If you trust in His Son, Jesus Christ, He sees you like anyone else who trusts in the Lord Jesus. He sees you as pure. He sees you as righteous. He sees you as a virgin. So give your shame to Him. Because when Jesus died on the cross, yes, He bore our sin, but He also bore our shame. Hebrews 12 verse 2 speaks of Jesus bearing our shame on the cross. He hung naked. He felt your shame. He bore your shame when He hung on that cross. Jesus knows how you feel. Give your shame to Him. He knows how to comfort you. And He also knows you are not the fool. It's the abuser who is the fool. It's the abuser. She says in verse 13, she says to him, you will be like one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now the Hebrew word fool doesn't mean the same as we think of the word fool. The word fool in Hebrew means you are morally, morally reckless. Yes, muriel rukalus. You are morally reckless. You are Foolish, unverstandig, you are godless, you are wicked, you are evil. This is what she's saying to him, you will be like this if you rape me. Now someone might say, but wasn't Tamar also foolish? Wasn't she also a fool? Because she says in verse 13, please, please don't rape me. Talk to dad, talk to the king. He won't withhold me from you. He, ask him if you can marry me. And you'll say, but she's just as foolish. She's telling him, let's commit incest. Brother and sister, let's get married. I don't think, I don't think so. What I think is going on here, she doesn't mean that. She's just trying anything to escape. She's saying, oh, just ask dad. Just, she's trying to buy time to get out of this horrible situation, to escape. And unfortunately, Amnon is a fool. He doesn't listen to her. And like any fool does, what do fools do? They do and then they think. They don't think before they do. So he just acts and he's going to think later. He's just thinking with his hormones. He's not thinking with his brains. He doesn't care about God's honor. She told him that such a thing shouldn't be done in Israel. This shouldn't be among God's people. He doesn't care about what happens among God's people. I don't care about God's honor. I don't care about your shame. She, she said, I'll be embarrassed. Where can I carry my shame? I don't care about you. It's all about my lust. He doesn't even care about his reputation. He doesn't care about the consequences of his sin. And being stronger than she, he just overpowers the poor woman and rapes her. Verse 14. And, and any abuser, any sexual abuser is like that. That's why they pray, pray, not pray, P-R-A-Y, P-R-E-Y, pray. That's why they pray upon the weak. And that's why... When it comes to t statistics on, on sexual abuse, by far, men are the offenders. Men are the offenders here because they're usually stronger and they overpower children, they manipulate children, they molest children, and they rape women. Uh, according to the statistics I checked, 96% of all offenders when it comes to molesting children, it's men. When it comes to rape, 91% of the victims are women 
and only 9% of the victims are men. And even where men are the victims of rape, it's usually other men. A man who's stronger or a group of men. Now I have a question. Don't answer aloud. Don't put up your hand. Answer it in your own mind, in your own heart. Have you offended? Have you transgressed? Have you committed this sin? Where you have sexually abused someone else. And if so, hand yourself over to the police. Ask the Lord's forgiveness for your sin. And ask, go to the person you have abused and ask for their forgiveness. You see, by handing yourself over, the, over to the police, you are showing that you are really sorry for your sin. You mean it. You are willing to face the consequences. You're willing to face the music. That's a sign of true repentance. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 11. And the Lord will purify you. The Lord will cleanse you. The Lord will forgive you. The Lord will wash away your sins. It doesn't mean He's going to take away the bad consequences. But He will cleanse you of sin. He will make you whiter than snow and whiter than wool. He will wash you with the blood of Jesus that purifies from all sin. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Listen, if you hide your sin, it will come out. God will stand in your way, as He did in David's way when David sinned. God stood in David's way. Psalm 32, go and read that. Your conscience will not rest. You will not be at peace. You will be like Proverbs 28 verse 1, the wicked runs where no one pursues. You're going to keep on running. You're going to keep on running in your own mind, do anything to get rid of these thoughts, to get rid of the conscience bugging you and bothering you. And God will bring your sin to the fore. God will make certain that your sin will find your, you out. Your sin will be shouted from the rooftops. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, and in the end you will be cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 21 verse 8, the sexually immoral, it's one of the sins mentioned, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. Number two, the consequences. Verse 15 to 22. Sex in marriage, it's like eating soup with a spoon. Sex outside of marriage is like eating soup with a fork. It's frustrating. It can never bring satisfaction that God meant it to bring. Because it's meant for marriage. That's how Amnon was. That is why you see Amnon, he comes, he rapes his sister. Number one, this is sin. Number two, it's his sister. So she doesn't return the love as in marriage when a wife would return the love to her husband. And suddenly, this is nothing at all like Amnon expected. It's not what he expected it to be. He expected it to be this great experience and now it's disgusting. And that's why it says in verse 15, his love turned into hate. And really it wasn't love in the first place, it was lust. It was lust. And this lust turns into hatred. And just like he abused his sister sexually, now he abuses her verbally. He chases her out like a dog. It says in verse 15, he says, get out. Get out. And now she pleads with him in verse 16. She pleads with him. She says, please, please don't send me away. If you send me out now, this second offense will be worse than the first. Why? It'll be worse because now everyone, if you chase me away, everyone's going to think I'm the guilty one. They're going to think I seduced you. I tempted you and that's why this happened. Now in verse 14, he didn't listen to her when she pleaded, don't rape me. And now in verse 16 and 17, again, he doesn't listen to her. He just tells his servant, get this, get, get her out, get her out. Get out of here and bolt the door, lock the door behind her. He doesn't even call her Tamar. He doesn't even refer to her as my sister. He doesn't say to the servant, take my sister out or take Tamar out. Literally the Hebrew here, it just says, get this one out. It's like he's saying this thing. She's now an object. She's not a person. 
And he locks her out, bolt the door behind her, verse 17. And she's locked out like she's the dangerous rapist. What a depressing story. What a sad story. And very sadly, this is not just a story. Because there might be people sitting here. And people listening to this, the recording later on. It's happened to you. You know, people who, who abuse other people sexually, they are excellent manipulators. Like Amnon here. An excellent manipulator. He turns this whole story so that she now feels she's the offender. Get this thing out. Lock her out. Lock the door. She's dangerous. People who abuse other people sexually, they know how to twist the thing to make people think and even to make the person feel you're the offender, I'm the victim. And very tragically, the world plays along. I read an article on CNN web, CNN's website this week in preparation for this sermon where they now, in this article, Many people now want to distinguish between pedophiles and child molesters. And I'll explain that now. They want to they say that a pedophile, a pedophile, a pedophile is someone who has sex with a child, but he has the child's permission. And a child molester is someone who has sex with a child, but he hasn't got the child's permission. And now this article, the person who writes the article says, poor pedophiles, don't judge them. Don't judge the pedophile. He can't help it. There's something in his brain that causes him to be sexually attracted to children. And when a pedophile does molest a child or does rape a child, you know whose fault it is? It's your fault and my fault. It's society's fault. Why is it our fault? Because we act as if pedophiles are bad people. And they're not bad people. They're just attracted to children. And it's because we don't give them a fair chance of enjoying children sexually. We don't give them that chance. And now they have to rape the poor child. Can you see that? How a pedophile is exactly like Amnon? He twists the situation. He turns the facts to make it seem like, I'm innocent. It's not my fault. It's you. My sin is everyone else's fault, but it's not my fault. Very sadly, we had a case like that in our church. Where we excommunicated a person. We removed the person from membership through church discipline. The person went to jail for molesting a child. And when I confronted the man, I was on holiday and I heard about this. I called him. I asked him point blank on the phone, did you molest the child? And he said, it depends what you mean with molesting. And then I had another opportunity. I came back from holiday. I went to see the guy. I looked him in the eyes and I asked him, tell me straight, did you molest the child? And then he just dodged my question. He wouldn't answer the question. I asked him again, did you molest the child? Yes, but she asked me to. So now he's not guilty because the child asked me, will you do this? And then in the end, who got the blame? The child was blamed. I was blamed. Another pastor was blamed. Why? Because when you found out, you didn't give me counseling. And in the end, I got an email. I forgive you. That's Amnon. It's not me. Lock this woman out. Get her out of here. It's her. I want to weep. I hear things like this. You know, and some people, they, they excuse their sin. and they, Or they excuse the perpetrator. They excuse the abuser by saying, he can't help it. He was molested when he was a child. He was raped when he was a child. And so he can't help doing this to others. 
That is exactly why he shouldn't do it. Because he knows what it feels like. He knows the trauma he went through. And now doing it to others. You shouldn't do it. Because you know what it's like. Don't excuse the sin. Don't excuse it. There is no excuse for this sin. Or for any other sin. As long as you think of excuses for your sin, there cannot be forgiveness. Because you're not coming to Christ for forgiveness. You're just excusing your sin and thinking of reasons why you're justified in doing this. But if you confess your sin, you'll find forgiveness. You'll obtain mercy. Now to continue the story, so Tam, uh, Tamar, when she leaves her brother Amnon's house, she's got a, a, shirt, a, a dress with long sleeves. That's how the virgin daughters of the king were dressed, verse 18 and 19. And she's got this long sleeve dress and she tears the sleeves of the dress and she pulls or throws ash on her head, puts ash on her head. That's according to the ancient um, grieving, when they grieved or when they wept and mourned, they would tear their clothes and, you know, different stories in the Bible, like in Jonah chapter 3 or Esther chapter 4, when the Jews find out they're all going to be killed, uh, Mordecai tears his robe, uh, or, or Job, remember Job, when he lost everything, he tore his robe and he shaved off his hair. So this is an, a grieving, uh, a sign of grieving, now the fact that she's got long sleeves, that tells you she didn't seduce her brother. It's not like she's dressed immodestly or she's got wearing clothes that's tempting her brother. There's no such thing. And while she walks away, she cries, she weeps, she cries aloud. We read in the text in verse 19, and she's got her hands on her head, and maybe even like this, where she's hiding her eyes, the tears, her red eyes, she's got this deep pain, this deep sore, and and she feels embarrassed and she feels humiliated and ashamed and hopeless and helpless and destroyed. And many people feel like that when they've been sexually abused. They think there's no hope for life. There's no hope after sexual abuse. There's no hope after rape. They think they can never have a happy marriage. You remember the story, was it, was it two years ago with the Springs monster? Um, that man in Springs who... Who locked, he had five kids, and him and his wife would abuse these kids, lock them up in a house in, in Springs, and the kids could never come out, and they raped the daughters and abused the son. What a horrible story. And the oldest daughter, Lundy, said after that, when the whole thing came out, that will have an influence on the rest of my life and my future marriage. That girl doesn't see hope for the future. There's no hope after sexual abuse in her eyes. And, and people like that. They must realize there is hope. There is hope after sexual abuse. In Jesus Christ, there is hope. Jesus can help you. Jesus can strengthen and give grace and give mercy. I would, I would suggest that you, you meet with a committed and devoted Christian woman, if you're a lady, and you spend time with that lady working through a book like Trusting God, Even When Life Hurts. It's by Jerry Bridges. Work through the book. Look up the verses. Pray with her. Uh, work through the, the nightmare of the past, the thing that happened. And find healing for those wounds inflicted by someone else's sin. Find help. Deirdre did a counseling course, biblical counseling. Ansi did the biblical counseling course. Lizelle is uh, starting the course in September. Maybe Dunette also. But go to a woman like this or any mature Christian woman in the church and ask them, please, can you walk the road with me and help me? And maybe it takes a year, maybe it takes two years of just being discipled. And just spending time in the Word and, and prayer with the body of Christ. Now, you can't go to anyone, please. Don't go to anyone and ask them for help. Uh, some people are like Absalom. This is now the full brother. Uh, like Absalom, he sees his sister coming. Her dress is torn. 
she's got ash on her head. He knows something is seriously wrong. Something has happened. He finds out that Amnon has raped her. And then what does he say to her? Look at verse 20. Her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon your brother been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. It's like, okay, stop crying now. Stop crying. Don't worry. He's your brother. Don't take this too hard. Huh? She's just been raped. It's like, don't worry. Stop crying now. I think that's, that's what family members do sometimes, sadly. So here's a kid. She's eight years old. She comes to her mom and she says, Mommy, Daddy did this to me. Mommy, Grandpa did this to me. Mommy, my brother did this to me. And then they don't believe it. They think she's making up. They like, like Absalom. Now Absalom believes her. And some parents believe the story. But then they just, it's like, okay, just keep quiet. We don't want to cause further embarrassment. That's sad. And if God doesn't intervene in a situation like that, then such children very often become like Tamar. What was Tamar like? Look at verse 20. Second part. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. A desolate woman. The Hebrew word is the same word there that is used in Daniel 9 verse 17 when the temple was destroyed. This poor woman's life is destroyed. Her life is ruined. And that's how, how she feels. And such children feel like that. If there's no help for them, it feels their lives are destroyed. Listen, the Lord can restore you. The Lord can rebuild a life like that. The Lord can restore a life like that. The Lord can heal the deep wounds you've received. Psalm 147 verse 3 says that God binds up the brokenhearted and He heals their wounds. Isaiah 61, that's a prophecy about the Messiah, about Christ, about Jesus. And it says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is Jesus speaking, the Messiah. Because the Lord has anointed me. Why? To bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. God can help you through the deepest darkness can help you through that. But come to Him. He wants you to come to Him. You're weary and heavy laden, come to Christ. Come to Christ. Psalm 107, verse 13 to 16. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ does for those in circumstances like you've experienced. It says, They cried to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. He burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. He shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. The Lord can save. The Lord can heal. God will not be passive like David was and like Jacob was. When Jacob heard in Genesis 34 that his daughter was raped, he just kept quiet. When David heard that his daughter was raped, what did he do? He was angry, but he did nothing. He did nothing in verse 21. And, and Leviticus chapter 20 verse 10 says, when there's incest, there are consequences for that. There's punishment. When there's rape, there's punishment. But David does nothing. Tell me, why did David do nothing? Because two chapters earlier, David committed adultery and murder. And now he thinks, I can't say anything. And then another reason he's passive is Amnon's the firstborn son. Chapter 3, verse 2. So he's the, the rightful heir to the throne. I see And he doesn't want his firstborn killed. And, and then another reason is David is an absent father. David is not involved in the life of his kids. He had lot, lots of wives in chapter 3 and chapter 5. He had lots of kids with his many wives. But he's not really involved in the lives of his children. Deuteronomy 17 verse 17 said, When you appoint a king in Israel, he may not take many wives. David was disobedient all these kids, but he doesn't really have a, re a relationship with his kids. So he doesn't punish Amnon. He doesn't even comfort Tamar. Absalom has to take care of his sister. In verse 20, she lives with her brother. 
David doesn't take her in. David doesn't go against his kids when they mess up, when they do wrong. Like in this chapter, like in Second or First Kings chapter one verse six. So Abiatar, was that the right name? It wasn't the right name. Let me get his right name. In in one Kings chapter one verse six. Adonijah. So Adonijah, he now I'm going to be king. My dad's almost dead. No, he's not going to be king. But David hears of this and he says nothing. It says in 1 Kings 1 verse 6. For five years, David does not even talk to his son Absalom. And that you can read just in the next chapters. Do your math. Don't be like David. Don't be like David. Protect your children from sexual abusers. And from sexual abuse. And if it's happened and you could not protect them, you did your best, but you could not protect them, go to the police. Go to the police, tell them. Don't be afraid of the abuser's threats because the abuser will threaten your child if you tell someone, I'm going to kill you. Don't be afraid of that. Help your child. Go to the police. Listen, if you keep quiet, if you don't tell what has happened, you are putting other kids in danger to go through the same things your child went through. So tell the police. Let this guy get behind bars. He must be locked up. Now maybe you say, I did go to the police, but our, our, our system in this country, the court system, everything is so corrupt. They just, that guy's got a better lawyer. That guy's got more money. He just got away. He bribed the, the magistrate or the lawyers. Well, in that case, if you've done what you could, then God will bring justice. God will bring justice. This person will not get away. God will punish the offender and God will punish such a government. Proverbs 24, verse 11 and 12. God will punish them. So, parents, I want to say to you, if such a thing has happened to one of your children, don't keep on beating yourself about it. Don't keep on beating yourself up. You did the best you can. Don't say to yourself, I should never have let my child go to sleep at her friend's house. This would never have happened if I said, no, you can't go to your friend's 10th birthday party. You didn't know. You didn't know. You did the best you could. Give the matter to the Lord and leave it there. Cast your burden on the Lord. He will sustain you. Cast your burden on the Lord. He cares for you. Pour out your heart before the Lord. God can turn your lamentation into a song of joy. That's what God does. He can, he can rebuild your life. Your life feels it's, it's been shattered. God can rebuild it. Isaiah 61, verse 2 to 4, He brings beauty from ashes. And read the rest there. He can rebuild the ruins. And one of the places where God begins is God helps you to forgive. God helps you to forgive that you're not like Absalom because in verse 22, Absalom hated Amnon. And in the end, you can read the rest of the chapter, he murdered him. Um, God helps you to forgive the offender, to forgive the abuser. Because listen, what happens if you hate? What happens if you don't forgive? The abuser might be behind bars. But sadly, you too are behind bars. He's behind iron bars. You're behind the bars of bitterness and unforgiveness. And that won't help you. It won't help you. So leave it to the Lord to avenge, to, to take vengeance upon this person. God will be the, the, the judge. God will be the one who punishes. I'm not saying don't go the, to the police because God avenges through, through the government also. Romans 13 verse 4. But forgive the offender. Pray for his salvation. Just like God forgave you and me for our sins. And God and, uh, and Jesus prayed for us to be forgiven. Remember that? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That was a prayer for us too. And then just a final two thoughts. What if you've been raped and you are pregnant with the abuser's child. Please don't abort the baby. Don't murder the child for the rapist's sin. Let the child live. Let the child be born. And if you can't take care of the child, give the kid up for adoption. Adoption is the better option. 
Adoption is better than murder. I know of such a case where the mother was raped, she became pregnant, she let the child live, and today that child serves the Lord. Today that child is a believer in Jesus Christ, following the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior. So it doesn't matter how broken your life is, doesn't matter how shattered your life is and feels after sexual abuse, Jesus can turn that tragedy into something beautiful. Genesis 50 verse 20, after Joseph was abused, not sexually, but human trafficking, by his brothers, many, many years later, Joseph said, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who have been called according to His purpose. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, yes, what a painful subject, because is this, this is more than merely a theological subject. This is more than theory. This is more than a sermon. We know these things have caused deep wounds in the hearts and lives of people, Christians and non-Christians, but especially for your children, O Lord. And for even for those who are not yet your children, I pray that they would turn to Jesus and find mercy and forgiveness. Those who have offended, that they would find forgiveness. And those who have been abused, that they would find grace and healing for their wounds. In Jesus' name, Amen.